Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad to be with you tonight. What a privilege and a blessing it is to celebrate the good news of Jesus' birth with you. If you're a regular attender here at VRBC, thank you so much for being here. If you came uh, at the invitation of a friend or a family member or a neighbor, or maybe you saw uh, an ad on Facebook or a billboard or a banner and decided to come tonight, whatever the reason that brought you here tonight, thank you so much. We're so glad that you're here. As we begin tonight, I want to start by taking a poll, a little bit of congregational participation. So I want you to raise your hand if, this is a hard one, okay? So prepare yourself. Are you ready? Raise your hand if you think that babies are cute. If you think babies are cute. Okay, not everybody actually, almost everybody. (laughs) Almost everybody thinks babies are cute. You know, I used to think that babies were cute too. You know, their pudgy little cheeks and their tiny little fingers and tiny toes bald hair, but something changed. You know what changed? Do you know what happened? I had one. That's right. I had one. Look at this is my uh, firstborn, Joshua. So cute, right? So cute. That's what I thought too. That's what I thought too until we came home from the hospital and I discovered that things changed quickly. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The cute wears off pretty quickly, doesn't it? When it's four in the morning, you've hardly slept, and your baby is screaming. Have you been there? Can I get an amen? Have you been there? You don't know what's wrong. Not so cute. Not so cute. The next morning, you get up, you put on a nice dress shirt. You're getting ready for a Zoom meeting, and your baby spits up all over your nice dress shirt. Not so cute. I used to think babies are cute, but after having one, I discovered babies are actually a disruption. Babies change everything. Do you know what time I used to wake up on Saturday mornings before kids? Nine o'clock, 9.30 maybe. You know what time I woke up after we had babies? Six on a good day, 6.30. You know what I drove in high school? I had a picture. I should have shown the picture. I I drove this old beat-up pickup truck bench seat, eight-track player. It was amazing. I love that thing. Do you know what I drove after we had babies? It hurts to say it, but it was a minivan. It was a minivan. I was a minivan guy. Babies change everything, don't they? They change your schedule. They change what you watch on TV. They change your finances. They change your heart. They fill you with a joy that you didn't know even existed. They fill you with love you didn't know that you had. Babies change everything. They're a disruption. Okay, so why all the talk about babies tonight? Because at Christmas, we focus a lot of attention on a baby, specifically on baby Jesus. And the temptation is to focus on how cute baby Jesus is. And by the way, how sweet was it seeing the kids come down and bring the nativity set? So sweet. The nativity is beautiful. Baby Jesus is cute. In fact, have you ever seen one of those uh, paintings of Jesus where he's in the the manger and he's screaming his head off? You haven't? Of course not. There's no such thing. Every painting of Jesus has him just serenely looking up lovingly at his mother. But make no mistake, Jesus' birth was a major disruption. And I'm not just talking about for his parents. I'm positive, as a parent, I'm positive his birth was a disruption for his parents. But I'm talking about for the entire world. Jesus' birth caused an upheaval in the universe. It changed everything. And tonight what I want to do is to look at one of the stories about Jesus' birth from the Bible. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And Matthew talks about this disruption that Jesus' birth was. Here's how it starts out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king, and pay attention to that word, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so right here from the beginning of the story, we get an idea. This is not an ordinary baby. Now, an ordinary baby, uh, your friends and family may come to meet the baby. But I don't think anybody here has had magi from the east come from hundreds of miles and knock on the door and say, where is the king? We want to meet the king. This was an unusual birth. We don't know too much about the Magi, sometimes called the wise men or the kings. Uh, We just know that they 
uh, were, were spiritual seekers that lived to the east of Israel. And they paid attention to the movements of the stars at night. And they saw something in the night sky that made them think that there was a new king being born in Israel. And this news was so compelling for them that they packed up and walked hundreds of miles to the west, to Jerusalem, to try to see where they could find this king. This is not an ordinary birth, is it? This is something new. There's a disruption happening. And the reason is because Jesus isn't just a cute baby. The reason is, at least in the Magi's mind, Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. Now, if you read scripture, you find out it's not just the Magi that think this. From the very early parts of the Old Testament, the prophets look forward to this coming Messiah, and and many of them describe him as a coming king. Jeremiah says he would reign wisely. Zechariah talks about this king. All the prophets, Isaiah, we talked about, the government will be on his shoulders. He's the king. And then when you get to the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke, an angel comes to Jesus' mother, Mary, and tells her that she's going to have a son, and he says that your son is going to sit on the throne of David. You may have heard of King David, Israel's greatest king. And the angel said, Mary, your son is going to be a king, the Messiah. All through the New Testament, talks about King Jesus. The very end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John paints a picture of when Jesus returns to earth as king. And he paints this beautiful picture using symbolic and poetic language. He says that he sees Jesus riding on a white horse and he's wearing a robe. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. I think of it like a monogram and a tattoo, a little leg sleeve. And it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. All through scripture, Jesus is portrayed not just as a cute baby, but as the king. Now, so many people in our culture try to downplay who Jesus is. What you hear most often in our culture about Jesus is he was a great teacher that taught us how to love one another. Or he was a prophet who said some nice things about God. At Christmas time, they say he was a sweet little baby born in a manger. And all those things are true. Friends, he was a great teacher. He did say some wonderful things about God. And I'm sure that his parents thought he was cute and sweet. But the Bible says Jesus was so much more than that. The Bible says that Jesus was a disruption to the way things had been because he claimed to be the king. Now, claiming to be a king is a bold claim, isn't it? And a bold claim like that requires a response. And in this chapter, Matthew 2, there are characters that respond in two very different ways. And I just want to quickly look at both responses. The first is a guy named Herod. Herod was the current king over this part of the world. And uh, the Magi came and they asked Herod, the current king, where they could find the new king. Now, let's just step back for a moment. How do you think that Herod responded when someone came and asked, hey, where's the new king? Not super excited, was he? Look at what the text says. When when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And I think this is just a little bit of an understatement. Current kings are not generally too excited to talk about new kings, are they? So what Herod does is he tries to find out more. He, he's been around uh, the Hebrew scriptures enough to know that they're probably talking about this Messiah that the prophets foretold. So he calls some religious experts and says, hey, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, well, the prophet Micah says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's a little town just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And so check out what Herod does next. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, the Bible does not come with a soundtrack. uh, But if it did, the music that will be playing right here is ominous. It's the music when the villain enters the, the scene. It's like the imperial death march. Darth Vader comes onto the screen. Do you really think that Herod wanted to worship this new king? Thank you. I knew somebody was paying attention. No, he didn't want to worship the king. 
This reminds me uh, of a little-known mov little movie that a few of you may have heard of. It's, it's an obscure film. It's called Frozen. Have you heard of it? <laughs> if you have a, a girl in your life under the age of 30, maybe, you probably know this movie. <laughs> Early in the movie, Hans and Anna fall in love. They sing that song about finishing each other's sandwiches and all of that, you know. Does Hans really love Anna? No. He doesn't care about Anna. He wants power. He wants to take over the kingdom. And that's exactly the way Herod is. Herod does not want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. In fact, later on in the story, we find out that Herod sends out this terrible decree to kill all of the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem just to make sure there's no chance that someone could take his place. Pretty ruthless, huh? So Herod's response to the news that a new king had been born was to try to eliminate him. He tried to eliminate Jesus because he saw Jesus as a rival. He saw his birth as a threat to his power. And so he tried to eliminate him. The Magi, though, responded totally differently. After Herod told uh, them where the Messiah was supposed to be born, they walked down to Bethlehem and they searched until they found the family. And look what happens when they find the family. Matthew says, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When Herod heard that a new king was born, his response was to try to eliminate him. But when the, when the Magi heard that a new king was born, their response was to celebrate him. Herod saw Jesus as a rival, but the Magi saw Jesus as a gift. Herod saw Jesus as a threat to be eliminated, but the Magi saw Jesus as a blessing to be celebrated. So here's the question for us tonight. Is the birth of a new king good news or is it bad news? Well, it all depends on your perspective. If you're Herod and you think the new king is a threat to your power and control, if you think your life will be better with you in charge, then it's bad news that there's a new king. But if you're the Magi and you believe that this new king is going to reign wisely and lovingly and your life is going to be better with him in charge, then it's good news. So, who's right? Who's right? Friends, I want to tell you with all the conviction I can muster tonight, the Magi are right. The news that Jesus has been born as the king is the best news possible. Because our world is broken. But Jesus has come to set things right. All around we see brokenness. You don't have to look very far, do you, to see brokenness? The Bible says that brokenness is the result of sin. That sin is anything that falls short of God's good and perfect plan for us. And sin is everywhere, and its effects are devastating. They're devastating on a global scale, where nations fight each other over power and land, where evil rulers oppress the powerless for their own personal gain. And the effects of sin are devastating on a more personal and local scale, where marriages fall apart, where families break apart, where people struggle with addiction, where they struggle with anxiety and depression, where people live lives enslaved by fear or regret or shame. The world is broken, but there is good news because in the person of Jesus, God himself has come to earth to make things right again. He's come to forgive our sins and to reverse the terrible effects of our sins. He's come to save us from this broken kingdom of this world and to give us new life inside his glorious kingdom. Friends, the fact that Jesus has come as king is such good news. It's such good news. By nature, most of us tend to think that things are going to go best for us when we're the boss, when we're calling the shots, when we're in charge. And so if anybody else claims to be in control, we view it as a threat. But I just want to push back at that a little bit tonight. What if, what if that's wrong? What if that's wrong? What if what we really need most is not to be king, 
but to submit to a good king, a perfect king. I have a friend uh, who uh, has a job where her boss left a few months ago, and this previous boss was not great. He did not have good people skills, generally made life miserable for his staff. Anybody ever had a boss like that? Church staff, keep your hands down, please. (laughs) Just put it as an unspoken prayer request, Arthur. Anyway, bad, bad boss, made life miserable for his staff. But a few months ago, he left for another opportunity. And for a few weeks, my friend was doing her job and her boss's job. Some of you have been in that situation before. And after a few weeks, they hired a new boss, and the new boss so much better than the old boss. And I asked her, I said, so you have a new boss now. Is that good news or bad news? Are, are you bummed that you don't get to call the shots anymore? Or are you happy that you get to go back to your, your primary job? And without hesitating an instant, she said, oh, it's such good news. I'm so glad. My boss is awesome. My boss takes care of all the things that I'm not good at, and it lets me focus on the things that I'm called to, the reason that I took the job in the first place. I love it. Well, friends, when I think about Jesus, my king, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. I'm not good at running the universe, Most of the time, I'm not even that good at running my own life. I certainly can't forgive my own sins. I can't give myself uh, hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. I can't help myself find some overarching purpose for my life. But Jesus is so good at all those things. He's amazing at all those things. And having him as my king lets me be who I was meant to be. It lets me be who I was created to be. God's child, fully loved by him, fully accepted by him, forgiven, adopted into his family, given a chance to partner with God in the amazing things he's doing in the world. Friends, having Jesus as my king is the best thing in my life. And I really do believe that it could be the best thing in your life as well. The birth of Jesus presents us with a choice. There are two ways we can respond. We can respond as the Magi did or as Herod did. We can take the path of the Magi and celebrate Jesus as the king, or we can take the path of Herod and try to eliminate him as a rival. And you may be sitting there thinking, John, that sounds harsh. Isn't there a middle way? Can't I just say that Jesus is a nice guy, a good teacher with some good ideas about loving people? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't claim to just be a good teacher. He claimed to be our king. He claimed to be God's son, our Messiah. And then he gives us the freedom to accept him, to embrace him on his terms, or to walk away. And here's the thing. When we marginalize Jesus as simply a good teacher, we actually reject the heart of his message. And to fail to embrace him as our king is to miss out on the best thing in life. It's to miss out on the amazing life that God wants you to have. Now here's one thing I find really ironic about this story. Herod tried to eliminate Jesus, and in one sense, He failed. If you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that an angel warned Jesus' parents about Herod's plot, and so they escaped to Egypt until Herod died, and then they safely came back to Israel. So from one, on one perspective, one level, Herod failed. But on another level, tragically, he succeeded. Herod failed in his attempt to keep Jesus uh, from being the king but he succeeded in his attempt to keep Jesus from being his king. You see the difference? Herod could not stop Jesus from being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No one can stop that, friends. But he was able to stop Jesus from being his king and his Lord. And tragically, he missed out on the blessing of a lifetime. But the Magi chose differently. The Magi recognized that Jesus' claim as king isn't a threat to our freedom. It's actually the source of true freedom. 
They recognized that Jesus didn't come to threaten our way of life. He came to redeem it, to renew it, and to restore it. He came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. And so as we consider those two choices, I just want to close uh, our time together tonight by giving us just a moment to be still and to reflect. In the busyness of this season, there are not many moments of quiet, and we just want to give you that gift tonight. So what I want to ask you to do is to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and to just reflect on, on this question. Is the fact that Jesus has come as king good news or bad news for me? And how am I responding to Jesus' claim as king? I wonder if there's anybody here that's been trying to take that middle option, respecting Jesus as a teacher, but kind of keeping him at arm's length. If that's you tonight, I would love to invite you to come to Jesus and experience the amazing new life he offers. To say to Jesus, I don't want you to just be the king. I want you to be my king. Please forgive my sins and give me a new life. And if you already have made that decision to have Jesus as your king, I hope tonight is a night of great celebration, a night to do what the Magi did, to celebrate once again the good news that causes great joy for all the people because Jesus, the king, is born. I want to give you just a moment of silent reflection and prayer to respond to God as he speaks to you to consider your response to Jesus the King. And then I'll give voice to our prayer in just a moment. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you as king tonight, king of kings and lord of lords, born in a manger but sovereign over the universe. We praise you together. We celebrate you. And we don't want you to just be the king. We want you to be our king. And so as individuals tonight and collectively, we say we bow before you, King Jesus. We give ourselves to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
It's our tradition to close our service with the singing of Christmas carols and the lighting of candles. And the way we like to spread the light here is to invite everyone who has made a decision to follow Jesus over the last year, or has been baptized sometime over the last year, or has started coming to VRBC over the last year to help us distribute the light. So if that's you, if you came to Christ this year, got baptized this year, or came to VRBC for the first time this year, would you guys come on down here? I'll light your candles and you can pass the light on to others as we sing.
Silent night.
As you go out into this silent and holy night, may you carry the good news with you that Christ, our Savior, our King, is born. Go in peace. Merry Christmas. Have your Christmas card. Merry Christmas, everybody. So glad to be with you tonight. What a privilege and a blessing it is to celebrate the good news of Jesus' birth with you. If you're a regular attender here at BRBC, thank you so much for being here. If you came uh, at the invitation of a friend or a family member or a neighbor, or maybe you saw uh, an ad on Facebook or a billboard or a banner and decided to come tonight, whatever the reason that brought you here tonight, thank you so much. We're so glad that you're here. As we begin tonight, I want to start by taking a poll, a little bit of congregational participation. So I want you to raise your hand if, this is a hard one, okay? So prepare yourself. Are you ready? Raise your hand if you think that babies are cute. If you think babies are cute. Okay, not everybody actually, almost everybody. <laughs> almost everybody thinks babies are cute. You know, I used to think that babies were cute too. You know, their pudgy little cheeks and their tiny little fingers and tiny toes bald hair, but something changed. You know what changed? Do you know what happened? I had one. That's right. I had one. Look at this is my uh, firstborn, Joshua. So cute, right? So cute. That's what I thought too. That's what I thought too until we came home from the hospital and I discovered that things changed quickly. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The cute wears off pretty quickly, doesn't it? When it's four in the morning, you've hardly slept, and your baby is screaming. Have you been there? Can I get an amen? Have you been there? You don't know what's wrong. Not so cute. Not so cute. The next morning, you get up, you put on a nice dress shirt. You're getting ready for a Zoom meeting, and your baby spits up all over your nice dress shirt. Not so cute. I used to think babies are cute, but after having one, I discovered babies are actually a disruption. Babies change everything. Do you know what time I used to wake up on Saturday mornings before kids? Nine o'clock, 9.30 maybe. You know what time I woke up after we had babies? Six on a good day, 6.30. You know what I drove in high school? I had a picture. I should have shown the picture. I, I drove this old beat-up pickup truck bench seat, eight-track player. It was amazing. I love that thing. Do you know what I drove after we had babies? It hurts to say it, but it was a minivan. It was a minivan. I was a minivan guy. Babies change everything, don't they? They change your schedule. They change what you watch on TV. They change your finances. They change your heart. They fill you with a joy 
that you didn't know even existed. They fill you with love you didn't know that you had. Babies change everything. They're a disruption. Okay, so why all the talk about babies tonight? Because at Christmas we focus a lot of attention on a baby, specifically on baby Jesus. And the temptation is to focus on how cute baby Jesus is. And by the way, how sweet was it seeing the kids come down and bring the nativity set? So sweet. The nativity is beautiful. Baby Jesus is cute. In fact, have you ever seen one of those uh, paintings of Jesus where he's in the the manger and he's screaming his head off? You haven't? Of course not. There's no such thing. Every painting of Jesus has him just serenely looking up lovingly at his mother. But make no mistake, Jesus' birth was a major disruption. And I'm not just talking about for his parents. I'm positive, as a parent, I'm positive his birth was a disruption for his parents. But I'm talking about for the entire world. Jesus' birth caused an upheaval in the universe. It changed everything. And tonight what I want to do is to look at one of the stories about Jesus' birth from the Bible. This is from the book of Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew talks about this disruption that Jesus' birth was. Here's how it starts out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king? And pay attention to that word. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so right here from the beginning of the story, we get an idea. This is not an ordinary baby. Now, an ordinary baby, uh, your friends and family may come to meet the baby. But I don't think anybody here has had magi from the east come from hundreds of miles and knock on the door and say, where's the king? We want to meet the king. This was an unusual birth. We don't know too much about the magi, sometimes called the wise men or the kings. Uh, We just know that they uh, were, were spiritual seekers that lived to the east of Israel. And they paid attention to the movements of the stars at night. And they saw something in the night sky that made them think that there was a new king being born in Israel. And this news was so compelling for them that they packed up and walked hundreds of miles to the west, to Jerusalem, to try to see where they could find this king. This is not an ordinary birth, is it? This is something new. There's a disruption happening. And the reason is because Jesus isn't just a cute baby. The reason is, at least in the Magi's mind, Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. Now, if you read scripture, you find out it's not just the Magi that think this. From the very early parts of the Old Testament, the prophets look forward to this coming Messiah, and and many of them describe him as a coming king. Jeremiah says he would reign wisely. Zechariah talks about this king. All the prophets, Isaiah, we talked about, the government will be on his shoulders. He's the king. And then when you get to the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, an angel comes to Jesus' mother, Mary, and tells her that she's going to have a son, and he says that your son is going to sit on the throne of David. You may have heard of King David, Israel's greatest king. And the angel said, Mary, your son is going to be a king, the Messiah. All through the New Testament, talks about King Jesus. The very end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John paints a picture of when Jesus returns to earth as king, and he paints this beautiful picture using symbolic and poetic language. He says that he sees Jesus riding on a white horse, and he's wearing a robe, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. I think of it like a monogram and a tattoo, a little leg sleeve. And it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. All through scripture, Jesus is portrayed not just as a cute baby, but as the king. Now, so many people in our culture try to downplay who Jesus is. What you hear most often in our culture about Jesus is he was a great teacher that taught us how to love one another. Or he was a prophet who said some nice things about God. At Christmas time, they say he was a sweet little baby born in a manger. And all those things are true. Friends, he was a great teacher. He did say some wonderful things about God. And I'm sure that his parents thought he was cute and sweet. But the Bible says Jesus was so much more than that. The Bible says that Jesus was a disruption to the way things had been because he claimed to be 
the king. Now, claiming to be a king is a bold claim, isn't it? And a bold claim like that requires a response. And in this chapter, Matthew 2, there are characters that respond in two very different ways. And I just want to quickly look at both responses. The first is a guy named Herod. Herod was the current king over this part of the world. And uh, the Magi came and they asked Herod, the current king, where they could find the new king. Now, let's just step back for a moment. How do you think that Herod responded when someone came and asked, hey, where's the new king? Not super excited, was he? Look at what the text says. When when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And I think this is just a little bit of an understatement. Current kings are not generally too excited to talk about new kings, are they? So what Herod does is he tries to find out more. He's been around uh, the Hebrew scriptures enough to know that they're probably talking about this Messiah that the prophets foretold. So he calls some religious experts and says, hey, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, well, the prophet Micah says he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's a little town just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And so check out what Herod does next. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, the Bible does not come with a soundtrack, uh, but if it did, the music that will be playing right here is ominous. It's the music when the villain enters the, the scene. It's like the Imperial Death March. Darth Vader comes onto the screen. Do you really think that Herod wanted to worship this new king? Thank you. I knew somebody was paying attention. No, he didn't want to worship the king. This reminds me uh, of a little, mov- little known movie that a few of you may have heard of. It's, obscure, it's an obscure film. It's called Frozen. Have you heard of it? If you have a, a girl in your life under the age of 30, maybe you probably know this movie. Early in the movie, Hans and Anna fall in love. They sing that song about finishing each other's sandwiches and all of that, you know. Does Hans really love Anna? No. He doesn't care about Anna. He wants power. He wants to take over the kingdom. And that's exactly the way Herod is. Herod does not want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. In fact, later on in the story, we find out that Herod sends out this terrible decree to kill all of the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem just to make sure there's no chance that someone could take his place. Pretty ruthless, huh? So Herod's response to the news that a new king had been born was to try to eliminate him. He tried to eliminate Jesus because he saw Jesus as a rival. He saw his birth as a threat to his power, and so he tried to eliminate him. The Magi, though, responded totally differently. After Herod told uh, them where the Messiah was supposed to be born, they walked down to Bethlehem and they searched until they found the family. And look what happens when they find the family. Matthew says, They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When Herod heard that a new king was born, his response was to try to eliminate him. But when the, when the Magi heard that a new king was born, their response was to celebrate him. Herod saw Jesus as a rival, but the Magi saw Jesus as a gift. Herod saw Jesus as a threat to be eliminated, but the Magi saw Jesus as a blessing to be celebrated. So here's the question for us tonight. Is the birth of a new king good news or is it bad news? Well, it all depends on your perspective. If you're Herod and you think the new king is a threat to your power and control, if you think your life will be better with you in charge, then it's bad news that there's a new king. But if you're the Magi and you believe that this new king is going to reign wisely and lovingly and your life is going to be better with him in charge, then it's good news. So, Who's right? Who's right? Friends, I want to tell you with all the conviction I can muster tonight, the Magi are right. 
The news that Jesus has been born as the king is the best news possible. Because our world is broken. But Jesus has come to set things right. All around we see brokenness. You don't have to look very far, do you, to see brokenness? The Bible says that brokenness is the result of sin. Sin is anything that falls short of God's good and perfect plan for us. And sin is everywhere and its effects are devastating. They're devastating on a global scale where nations fight each other over power and land, where evil rulers oppress the powerless for their own personal gain. And the effects of sin are devastating on a more personal and local scale, where marriages fall apart, where families break apart, where people struggle with addiction, where they struggle with anxiety and depression, where people live lives enslaved by fear or regret or shame. The world is broken. But there is good news because in the person of Jesus, God himself has come to earth to make things right again. He's come to forgive our sins and to reverse the terrible effects of our sins. He's come to save us from this broken kingdom of this world and to give us new life inside his glorious kingdom. Friends, the fact that Jesus has come as king is such good news. It's such good news. By nature, most of us tend to think that things are going to go best for us when we're the boss, when we're calling the shots, when we're in charge. And so if anybody else claims to be in control, we view it as a threat. But I just want to push back at that a little bit tonight. What if, what if that's wrong? What if that's wrong? What if what we really need most is not to be king, but to submit to a good king, a perfect king? I have a friend uh, who uh, has a job where her boss left a few months ago, and this previous boss was not great. He did not have good people skills, generally made life miserable for his staff. Anybody ever had a boss like that? Church staff, keep your hands down, please. (laughs) Just put it as an unspoken prayer request, Arthur. Anyway, bad, bad boss, made life miserable for his staff. But a few months ago, he left for another opportunity. And for a few weeks, my friend was doing her job and her boss's job. Some of you have been in that situation before. And after a few weeks, they hired a new boss and the new boss so much better than the old boss. And I asked her, I said, so you have a new boss now. Is that good news or bad news? Are are you bummed that you don't get to call the shots anymore? Are you happy that you get to go back to your, your primary job? And without hesitating an instant, She said, oh, it's such good news. I'm so glad. My boss is awesome. My boss takes care of all the things that I'm not good at, and it lets me focus on the things that I'm called to, the reason that I took the job in the first place. I love it. Well, friends, when I think about Jesus, my king, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. I'm not good at running the universe most of the time, I'm not even that good at running my own life. I certainly can't forgive my own sins. I can't give myself uh, hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. I can't help myself find some overarching purpose for my life. But Jesus is so good at all those things. He's amazing at all those things. And having him as my king lets me be who I was meant to be. It lets me be who I was created to be, God's child fully loved by him, fully accepted by him, forgiven, adopted into his family, given a chance to partner with God in the amazing things he's doing in the world. Friends, having Jesus as my king is the best thing in my life. And I really do believe that it could be the best thing in your life as well. The birth of Jesus presents us with a choice. There are two ways we can respond. We can respond as the Magi did or as Herod did. We can take the path of the Magi and celebrate Jesus as the king, or we can take the path of Herod and try to eliminate him as a rival. And you may be sitting there thinking, John, that sounds 
harsh? Isn't there a middle way? Can't I just say that Jesus is a nice guy, a good teacher with some good ideas about loving people? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't claim to just be a good teacher. He claimed to be our king. He claimed to be God's son, our Messiah. And then he gives us the freedom to accept him, to embrace him on his terms, or to walk away. And here's the thing. When we marginalize Jesus as simply a good teacher, we actually reject the heart of his message. And to fail to embrace him as our king is to miss out on the best thing in life. It's to miss out on the amazing life that God wants you to have. Now here's one thing I find really ironic about this story. Herod tried to eliminate Jesus, and in one sense, he failed. If you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that an angel warned Jesus' parents about Herod's plot, and so they escaped to Egypt until Herod died, and then they safely came back to Israel. So from one, on one perspective, one level, Herod failed. But on another level, tragically, he succeeded. Herod failed in his attempt to keep Jesus uh, from being the king, but he succeeded in his attempt to keep Jesus from being his king. You see the difference? Herod could not stop Jesus from being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No one can stop that, friends. But he was able to stop Jesus from being his king and his Lord. And tragically, he missed out on the blessing of a lifetime. But the Magi chose differently. The Magi recognized that Jesus' claim as king isn't a threat to our freedom. It's actually the source of true freedom. They recognized that Jesus didn't come to threaten our way of life. He came to redeem it, to renew it, and to restore it. He came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. And so as we consider those two choices, I just want to close uh, our time together tonight by giving us just a moment to be still and to reflect. In the busyness of this season, there are not many moments of quiet, and we just want to give you that gift tonight. So what I want to ask you to do is to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and to just reflect on, on this question. Is the fact that Jesus has come as king good news or bad news for me? And how am I responding to Jesus' claim as king? I wonder if there's anybody here that's been trying to take that middle option, respecting Jesus as a teacher, but kind of keeping him at arm's length. If that's you tonight, I would love to invite you to come to Jesus and experience the amazing new life he offers. To say to Jesus, I don't want you to just be the king. I want you to be my king. Please forgive my sins and give me a new life. And if you already have made that decision to have Jesus as your king, I hope tonight is a night of great celebration, a night to do what the Magi did, to celebrate once again the good news that causes great joy for all the people because Jesus, the king, is born. I want to give you just a moment of silent reflection and prayer to respond to God as he speaks to you to consider your response to Jesus the King. And then I'll give voice to our prayer in just a moment. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you as king tonight, king of kings and lord of lords, born in a manger but sovereign over the universe. We praise you together. We celebrate you. And we don't want you to just be the king. We want you to be our king. 
And so as individuals tonight and collectively, we say we bow before you, King Jesus. We give ourselves to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.